I always feel all good sermons start with Jim Carrey. I just feel like that across the board. Um, <clears throat> raise of hands. How many of you have ever wanted to know what God's will is for your life? Raise your hand real high. Okay, basically everyone. Everyone has asked this question at times, and I would suggest that everyone has probably had a moment like that, as irreverent as it might be, where you're asking God, Lord, what are we supposed to do? Where are we supposed to go? What's supposed to go on with my life? And you don't get any answer. You don't know. We're not sure, or it's not quite a clear path. We've all had that. We all want to know the will of God. We want to know his will for our lives, but we don't always see it. We don't always experience it. It's a universal desire for all of humanity to know, like, what am I supposed to do next? That's ultimately what we're asking. You might not have even asked God specifically, what is your will for my life? But what you've asked is, what am I supposed to do here? I don't know what to do with this situation. What is next? We all have that question. The good news is the scripture actually encourages this question. I want you to look in Ephesians chapter 5. Look at this scripture. We're going to just start in verse 15. This is Paul's encouragement to the church. I'd say it's, it's God's encouragement to us. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, there it is. Here's the encouragement. Here's the, in fact, the command to understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, before we actually dive into this issue, there's some nuance to the will of God. There's some like multiple layers to this thing. And I just want to take a, a minute to unpack that because when we think of the question, Lord, what is your will for my life? What we tend to think is very personally, Lord, what are you asking me to do? What do you want me to do with my life? Should I marry this person? Should I change careers? What should my major be this semester? You know, or whatever it is that you maybe struggled with at points in time in your life. Should I move? What should I do with my kid in this situation? God, what do you want? What is your will? And we have come to, at, at different points in time, we've come to a place where we might feel exasperated or even frustrated because we don't feel like we're getting the answer. We don't, we're not entirely sure what his will is. And much like Bruce uh, Almighty, it seems like God is being silent with the issue. Believe it or not, the Bible actually talks about this, about his will on multiple levels. And here's what it's going to say. Listen. In fact, I'll, I'll put it this way. There's three levels to the will of God and understanding this. And understanding these levels helps us understand what it is that he wants to do. First is this, his sovereign will. You might call this his sovereign will or his providential will. That means this. Whatever it is that God is going to do, God's going to do it, and nothing can stop it. In the divine counsel, God is working in 10,000 ways. And the promise from Scripture is for our good, and we have no idea how it's actually happening, but he's doing it. He's working. He's providential in all that he does. There's nothing that can come against it. 
We'll see it all the time, even in the good things and the bad things, we see God accomplishing his purposes. There's no question about it whatsoever. God in his greatness, his grandness, his massiveness will help accomplish his purpose is going to accomplish his purposes, but it's going to happen. Now, he's good to us in that, but it's, he's al- it's always happening. Peter preaches the first sermon after Jesus goes, after he's resurrected, Jesus goes to the cross, he goes into the grave, he comes out alive by the power of God, and then after he goes to, back to the Father, Peter is preaching on Pentecost, or the Feast of Harvest. And in Acts chapter 2, I want you to look at what he says, Acts chapter 2, verse 23 it says, this man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Now, look, I want you to look back at that scripture. Jesus was handed over by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. Meaning, hear this. Jesus was going to the cross before the world began. Now, that may blow your mind. That might even mess with your theology a little bit. But from the moment Jesus came as a little baby, that was the the purpose and design. Amen. Did you catch that? Serious. From the moment, that was sovereign. (laughs) That was the sovereign will of God. Did you catch that? Okay. You're right. No, we didn't get that at all. From the moment that Jesus came, he was always going to the cross. There was never a moment at which he wasn't. And it seemed, even in that moment, like it was the worst, most catastrophic, horrible thing that was happening. But in fact, it was the greatest thing that has ever happened in the history of the world. God is providentially, sovereignly working And there's nothing we can do to stop it, but he's always working for our good. That's the promise. We see it over and over and over and over again. But there's another aspect of his will. It's not just his sovereign will, but it's his revealed will, or you might call it his moral will. And his revealed will, the moral will, are all the places where God asks us to do something or he asks us not to do something. We see it all throughout scripture where he's asking us those things where we choose by the grace of God to say yes to him or to partner with him to bring about the goodness and and the abundance that we receive from life in God. So God is graciously calling for partnership. Looking for partners, people who are willing to come alongside and say, yes, what you have to say is better than what I have to say. What, your idea of life is better than my idea of life. And part of, our, part of that faith journey is not just in believing about God, but then actually in doing or taking a step by faith to trust that whatever God says is right or good and true or the things we should do or should not do, those are the right ways to operate. Revealed will of God is where he's showing us the immenseness of his love and his kindness by inviting us into partnership. God is so faithfully loving. He's saying, listen, this is what will bring maximum joy and peace in your life if you'll trust me. But you gotta, but you gotta meet me here. 
It's meaning God declares that this is my will, but it doesn't always happen. What do I mean by that? But what I mean by that is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. This is one example of the declaration of God's revealed or his moral will. This is his will. Abstain, stay away from things that are sexually broken and you'll have life. This is the will of God. States are as plain as day. Now, I think it's safe to say this declaration or God's will is violated millions of times every day, all the time. Constant. This is what we see over and over again. And it's not just this, but there's many of these things where God has declared some, this is my will, this is my purpose, this is my plan. And people go, no, I'm not really going to do it. This moral will, is, it's available to all people for all time. And anyone that comes into that partnership, God's so faithful and loving that when they do, they'll experience life and joy. But we don't always get there. We don't always operate by this will. And so what we see is this truth is, this, this is absolute truth, but we don't always connect with it. And so we have the providential will where God's always accomplishing what he's going to do, but we have the revealed will where he's saying, hey, come into partnership, and if you'll do this, there's life and joy and peace for you. That's available to every person. Then, after the sovereign will and after his revealed or moral will, there's the personal God's personal will. This is that thing where those are the unique things that the Father wants all of us or wants us to do in our lives, in our individual lives. Those places that he's specifically directing each one of us. Those ways that he's specifically asking for those things that he's revealed in his moral will to play out in our personal lives. Now, the question is, well, why, why are we breaking all of this down? The reason is this. And I'm just gonna, I'm like making, I'm gonna make a, like a judgment here. I'm gonna give you a statistic that I had no way, form, or fashion could back up at all. But I'm just gonna give it to you anyway. Because that's really how statistic work, statistics work, right? We just throw out statistics and you read it on the internet and you're like, okay, I guess it's true. So I'm just gonna do that. 90% of what God is asking you and I to do in this life is being accomplished through his sovereign and his moral will. The problem is what, what we do is we go, I just want to know the individual thing. And what God's saying is this, listen, if you'll trust me in what I'm asking you to do in the revealed will of God, then you're going to, on that last little 10% where I've got some specific things to do, you'll know and hear rightly on those things when you start saying yes to this other stuff. In fact, I think often we're at, we find ourselves asking these questions like, God, what is your will for my life? Because we've gotten ourselves into a bind by not listening to his revealed will, by not coming into partnership with what he's already asked us to do. I love... Uh, Andy Stanley's a great pastor. He puts it this way. He says, listen, the more we surrender to the providential or the sovereign will of God, and the more obedient we are to the moral or the revealed will of God, the easier it is to hear the personal will of God. So all those places that we long, listen, God said, listen, come into submission to the fact that I'm working. 
10,000 ways you don't know it. And it might seem yucky in the moment, but I'm working for you. And two, trust me in the things that I'm asking you to do. And what we're going to get, and I'm just going to let you know where we're going. Some of the stuff in the revealed will of God, God that he's asking us to do requires us to let go of control. That's where this thing is coming. That's where the rub is going to come here in a minute, okay? Because some of you are control freaks. I can tell it's in your face already, all right? No. Yeah. And when I say some of you are control freaks, I mean all of you, all right? Pastor included. That's what this comes down to. We all like to be in control. And when God asks us to partner with what his revealed will is all throughout Scripture, what we have to do is open up our hands and say, not my way, but your way. And when we do this, it's going to open the door for those personal places where we don't, we're not sure if we're supposed to turn left or turn right. I believe we'll begin to see the goodness of God and the answers of God in our lives come fully to fruition. We'll begin to understand in a new and fresh way. And so here's the deal. If, if that's true, then what we want to do is dive into, Lord, what is it that is your revealed will for my life? What is it that you're actually asking me to do? Look at, I want you to go back to the text, Ephesians chapter 5. Now, here's what he says, verse 17. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. All right. So the question is, what's the will of the Lord? Because right, the next thing coming is what the will of the Lord is. All right? Here's what he's going to say. Don't get drunk with wine. For that's debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. All right, here's what the, what, you know, he said, don't be foolish be wise. If you don't know what the will of the Lord is, don't be drunk with wine. It's empty. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, I love this connection that he's going to make. But before we get to this connection he makes between being drunk <clears throat> and being filled with the Spirit, the tense or the, the if you will, the Command here in Greek is what they call, this is, and I did, I have literally taken zero hours of Greek whatsoever, but I, I know how to use the Bible studies on the internet, okay? <clears throat> the Greek is a present imperative, meaning this. This scripture actually reads, be continually filled with the Spirit. Not a one-time thing, and depending on what uh, church tradition you may came from, you may have heard the idea of being filled, you get filled one time. And what Paul is saying to the church is, listen, here's the will of the Lord for you. Be readily, daily, continually filled with the Spirit of God. This is the will of God for us. Be filled, be continually filled with the Spirit. And then he makes this analogy, and here's what he says. Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, let's, let's be honest what being drunk is. It's being filled with lots of wine, right? 
It's not like one glass, all right, and that, which is like another sermon for another. It doesn't say no, don't drink at all, okay? I'm not going to get it because some of you are going, don't take my Chardonnay, you know, or whatever, okay? That's not, all right, that's not what this is about. That's another sermon for another day. This is about drunkenness, where you take one glass and kick it back, and you take another glass and you kick it back, and you take another one and kick it back, and you know why you do it, or you know why you've done it in the past, and that is because you either want happiness, right? Why do people get drunk? Let's ask the question, because I'm feeling it all the, like, you're like, you can't talk about this stuff in church. Yes, you can. Why do people get drunk? Why? They want to be happy, or they want to forget the anxiety and the worry that's going on in their lives. It's two reasons. Basically, two reasons why we get drunk. You just want to be happy, right? It's Friday night, and you want to let loose, and you're such a control freak, the only way you can actually let loose is by kicking a bunch of them back, right? Does that make sense? That's the only way that you can actually be happy. Or you got stuff going on, and it is, just, it is weighing on your mind, and you just are desperately trying. When your head hits the pillow, you're hoping that you fall asleep because there's 10,000 things that are going through your mind and you're scared of. Those are the reasons that we <clears throat> get drunk. And Paul here in verse 15 tells us, he speaks to why, by the way. He says, listen, the days that we live in are evil. Here's what Paul, what Paul is saying is this. Know what this life is like. It's full of a lot of hardship. It's full of a lot of disappointments. This is 2,000 years ago, hadn't changed a bit. All the technology, all that we've gotten, <clears throat> all the things scientifically we know now that we didn't know 2,000 years ago, guess what has not stopped? Life being hard, being really difficult. Hard decisions, painful disappointments, Places where we feel rejected. Listen, you can have all the money in the world and have all the great stuff and feel the weight of brokenness in this life. It doesn't add up. The relationships are broken. There's frustrations. There's disappointments. There's hurt. There's all kinds of anxieties. There's nothing makes this stuff go away. It was the same there 2,000 years ago as it is today. We still hurt for that answer. And so what Paul is saying is, listen, I know that the days are evil and this life is tough. And you got two choices. You can artificially try to make things go away with wine. Meaning you can be filled up with wine. But it's, it's empty. It's what he says, debauchery. Meaning just making brokenness of yourself or you can be filled with the Spirit of God and live in a transformative way. There's one way that's not the will of God. There's one way that's foolish and empty and broken, and there's one way that leads to life. There's one way that leads to the right response of knowing, if you will, knowing and walking in God's will. And Paul uses this analogy of drunkenness because we've all been in that place where we wanted to escape our reality and find some kind of joy. And he's saying, listen, I've got the answer. You don't have to try to forget by taking in drink. You can remember my promises for you by being 
filled with the Spirit. Every one of us, listen, every one of us longs to be carefree and uninhibited in our lives. We want to live with a lightness. We don't want to have the heaviness cast over us. That's what we all want. And we'll look for a hundred different ways to try to escape it. And the truth is, is while the scripture here says, don't be drunk with wine, it could, be, it could say, don't be stoned out of your mind with a chemical. Or stop getting on Amazon and purchasing stuff so you don't feel bad. Or stop binge watching the movie so you don't have to think about the thing that's going on in your life. There's any number of drugs that we have in this life. And this, this is the tough preacher talk because I could throw myself under the bus here, right? It's just easier to watch the show after the show after the show after the show instead of dealing what's going on in the inside. It's just easier to do that. I've done it before. And there's this revealed moral will where there's this invitation to partnership. And the partnership is this. Be filled with the Spirit of God. Be filled with the Spirit of God. There's a better way to deal with the difficulties of this life. There's a better way to walk. And it's being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And so here are the questions. There's two questions inevitably we're all asking. And the question is this. How am I filled with the Spirit? How am I filled with the Spirit? And two, what does it look like for me to be filled with the Spirit? How am I filled with the Spirit of God? And what does it begin to look like? What happens when I am filled with the Spirit? And I'm obliged to answer that question. Thank you for asking. It's very good. Now, there's a few things he's going to say here. Now, there, this, this, there's, it's, this is a, a vast subject. It's so broader than one sermon. But there's a few things that he actually indicates right here in the scripture I want us to hang on to. And then we're going to ask him what it should look like in our lives. And we're just going to ask him to fill us this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, start. We'll go to, uh, back to 18. Don't be drunk with wine, for that's debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So here's what he says. I'm gonna, he, says he gives us a few things. Kind of pointing out what does it look like or what is, how do we begin to be filled with the Spirit of God? One is just, what he says is address one another or come together. Listen, you've got, if you want to be filled with the Spirit, it, you've got to come around a community of people who are ready to speak life into you. Addressing one another, meaning coming together and saying, there is life, there is joy, there is peace, there is power that God has for you, and you've got a group of people that are ready to come alongside you and ask and plead for the same thing. If you don't have that in your life, let me tell you, this life is way too hard. This life is way too hard to do uh, on our own. Speaking life, engaging that community, coming alongside, saying, I need to be filled I don't have it. I need to be filled with the Spirit of God. I need people that have come around me to speak life over me. Secondarily, sing song to the Lord. Now, 
I love what it says here. Spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Because some of you are going, well, I don't, when I sing and make melodies, it's not really a melody. It's kind of like a crashing flat note or something like that, right? What Jesus is saying is, hey, the issue here is the heart. If you want to know how to be filled with the Spirit of God, coming into a place of worship, adoration from the heart. Now, that might sound kind of like, that sounds like kind of church speak, but let me just say something to you. When you're in that moment and you're asking that question, what do I do with my life here? Should we go here or should we go here? What am I supposed to do with this situation in front of me? Let me tell you, the most not normal thing to do is to push the pause button and to begin to worship God with everything inside of you. But let me say something to you. I believe if we're willing in those moments where we're asking God, what is your will and what's the next step? If we'll be willing to stop and say, God, I'm, I'm gonna worship you. I give my heart and life to you and I worship you from my heart. It begins to change the narrative. It begins to give clarity to the question. It begins to unfold exactly what it is we're supposed to go and where we're supposed to be when we worship God. Authentic, not going through the motions. And let me tell you, I've been in enough church services in my time, I've gone through the motions. It's entirely possible you went through the motions this morning. It was just really early when you got up out of bed and you went through the motions and you had an opportunity to raise a song to the Lord and maybe the words were coming out, but what God is saying is from the heart. If you want to be filled with the spirit of God, let true, ask God for true worship to rise up inside. Look at what he says here. Next, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, then it starts by, we take a moment to give thanks. Now, not just like, thank you, God, for the dinner in front of us. And I think that's a great prayer. But here's what he says. You thank God for everything. Now, let me just say something. That is a radical thought to give thanks, radical thanksgiving for everything. Because my guess is, is that we all have stuff that we don't feel really thankful for, but it's the opportunity, that moment to say, God, I thank you. I don't see how this is working out, but I know that your sovereign providential will is working for me. And I know right now I'm being commanded to, with radical thanksgiving, come to you with thanks. And I can tell you, in my own life when I've been willing to push the pause button and to thank God, the love, and I would say the filling or the power of the Holy Spirit comes and fills my life. I've had those moments, and I've had the moments where I chose to fret and not give thanks. And I've spin down that horrible tunnel like everyone else. I've been in that place. And then lastly, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, which of course, nobody likes the word submitting, but what here's, ultimately this is what this means is when you incline your heart to love and serve people, that your life is going to be about giving your life away to others. 
that when you do that, the Spirit of God comes in like a flood to give you power because this is exactly what God has designed you and I for. The submitting to one another simply means this. I'm just going to incline my heart to not live my life about me. That's what that means ultimately. The, the, the next, in fact, the next text says, wives submit to your husbands and husbands love your wives. Essentially what it's saying is, listen, this thing doesn't work if this life is about you. So if you want to be filled with the spirit of God, be filled is just by saying, God, I, I don't want this life to be about me. That's a dangerous prayer to pray, but it's one of power. How are we filled with the spirit of God? We come up and trust his revealed will and we just say yes to it. That's ultimately what Paul's saying here. Now, the question is, is, well, what happens when I'm filled with the spirit? What begins to take place? What does it look like? And the, the truth is, is it looks like a lots of different things. And Jeremy, your team can come up because we're just gonna finish with just asking God to fill us this morning. The question is this, <clears throat> what happens when I'm filled with the Spirit? In fact, uh, Paul, uh, or, uh, Luke, <clears throat> Luke writes the book of Luke. Luke writes the gospel of Luke, and then he writes Acts. In fact, they're just, it's like a, two really big books together. It's actually one book with like two pieces. It's basically what it is. Luke talks about the Holy Spirit. Here's what he says is that... Uh, when he describes the Spirit of God coming upon people, he says that the Spirit is given as a gift, or he falls upon, he comes upon people, he's poured out, people receive the Spirit, they're baptized with the Spirit, they're filled with the Spirit. All those are descriptions of what the Holy Spirit does when he comes upon his people. So that when we're asking for the filling, what we're saying is, Lord, whatever it is that you do by your Spirit, we want you to come. We want you to come and make your presence known. But here, attached with every, and I want you to hear this, with every one of those descriptions. Every time we see the Holy Spirit descending or coming upon or filling or people receiving his spirit, every time there's a power, there is a transformative work that takes place. Every time. That when the people of God ask for the filling of the Spirit, there's a move that happens, and it's beautiful. There's all kinds of things that happen. In Acts chapter 2, it says they're filled with the Spirit, and, and they speak in tongues. And that'll, that'll mess with you if you didn't come from a church background where they spoke in tongues. In Acts chapter 4, it says they were filled with the Spirit, and then they spoke the Word of God with boldness. In Acts chapter 8, it said they received the Spirit, and there was a, a demonstration of God's power among the people. In Acts chapter 10, it says that the Spirit fell, and they just began to prophesy over each other and they hadn't even been baptized yet, right? You see things like free and overflowing praise of the greatness of God in Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 9, boldness and power to share the love of Jesus with other people. In Acts chapter 5, the Holy Spirit is connected to just being able to obey the commands of God. In Acts chapter 6, so there's working of miracles and there's signs and wonders. There are all kinds of things that happen. But what we know is this. When the Spirit of God, when we're filled with the Spirit of God, it's not just an inference that we make like, oh, yeah, I follow Jesus, so I have God's Spirit. No, we have sealed by the Spirit of God for all that are in Christ. You and I have received the Holy Spirit. He is 
in us. He's made his home inside of us. But there is subsequent work that God wants to do in our life. He wants to fill us over and over and over and over again. He moves. He changes. He transforms. There's all kinds of ways. If you're looking for that thing, you're going, this, there's this thing that I cannot overcome or this thing that has bewitched me or this thing that has frustrated me and say, God, I'm asking you to fill me with your spirit. Come in power over me to change and transform my circumstances, to move me, to move my heart where I can't move my heart because this is what this comes down to. The demonstration or the work or the filling of the spirit of God in our lives is because we can't do it on our own. We can't. If you are in Christ, I want to say this. If you are in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has been given to us, making his home inside of us, and sealed us as a guarantee that we're going to see Jesus face to face. But hear this. There are so many things that he wants to do, and over and over and over again. God wants to come upon his people and to fill us, to make us new, to make us whole, to give us power. There's an, let me, maybe the best way to put it is there's an expectation for a move of God in our lives. And we don't always know, and we have no guarantees of exactly what it will look like other than that God wants to come and move. He wants to change and transform. He wants to give power and obedience and ability and worship and praise and and many of you, he wants to give you up. He wants to come and use you with your gifts, talents, and abilities. It's what he wants to do. Sometimes it's discernible in our bodies. Sometimes it's just new power to love people or to serve. But whatever it is, I know this. It, this life, this abundant life that we have in Christ cannot be done on our own. It takes the work of the Spirit of God. Would you guys stand with me? We're just going to sing. We're going to do exactly what the scripture said, okay? We're going to sing. We're going to sing and we're just going to ask. This is when it says sing and make melody in your heart, here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to give you a challenge. We have, I'm going to literally, we're going to take five or six minutes to do this. I want to make a challenge to you. Make this melody in your heart more than singing a song. And that as you make this melody, as we together make this melody in our heart, as we sing, would you just ask, God, fill me fresh with your Holy Spirit. I want, a I want to receive a fresh work of your Spirit over my life. Because I know I can't not do this on my own. I know that there is something that you want to do and accomplish in me. Every one of us in, is in need of new power to overcome sin, to overcome fear or anxiety. We all have a unique call on our lives to love and to bless and to minister to the people around us. It takes power. It takes a filling of his Holy Spirit to do it. It's the move that he wants to make. God, we're asking right now. Let's just ask him. In whatever way is helpful for you, would you just ask him? Lord Jesus, would you fill us again? There's so many ways that you fill. There's so many things that happen and take place, but Lord, we just want you. In fact, that really is the cry of our heart, is it not? God, we just want you. When we sing and worship, what we're really just saying is we want you. 
more than the demonstration or more than what it looks like, what we're saying is, God, we, we just want you. Lord, we're asking, would you be with us? Would you lead us as we sing? Lord, from our heart, I ask God, would you give us grace to receive you now?